Hello everybody, Josh here. Over the past several days, voices were raised across my country and around the world to protest the systematic oppression that Black Americans have faced for generations. The deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, not to mention countless others in years past, are just the latest instances of police brutality as a tool of racial injustice. There's a sentiment I've seen expressed that politics don't belong in gaming. While there might be an argument to be made for escapism and the desire to get away from the problems of the world, avoiding politics does nothing but support the status quo. For many, the status quo is continued subjection to oppression, hate, and violence. I'm a middle-aged white guy in one of the whitest parts of the country, a few hours from any major cities. I'm privileged in that I have never needed to face what some of my friends, acquaintances, and RPG colleagues have faced and continue to face. But I hear their stories, and I can't, in good conscience, ignore them. Because I believe stories are important. They can show us perspectives that are otherwise foreign to us. The stories we tell to each other and to ourselves shape our view of the world and help us navigate its moral landscape. They help us explore and define our philosophical ideals and what we value. They can show us where we fall short of those ideals, and maybe how to be better. We need to amplify and share the stories that are not being told. Listen to them, and learn, and be better. Thank you. Welcome back to the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, a podcast for novices and masters alike. I am, of course, Dan. My co-host is, of course, Josh. Hello, everybody. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things hematological, bestial, <laughs> selectional. <laughs> you can tell where I pulled that one from today. Uh, but we actually have a couple of emails to get to real quick. First, we've got two, two questions to answer uh, as it is. But other than that, if you'd like us to answer your questions, because we know you all have some. We did a whole email podcast last time. Nothing but email palooza too and if you want to get a hold of us it's edsgpodcast at gmail.com so today before we get to the first email i do want to really quick address something that that came up in the emails last time because i was thinking about it and second guessing myself as i often do when i'm talking stuff here it's mostly off the cuff just kind of drawing off of my experience and knowledge the question was about swordmaster and if you've got a swordmaster that's focusing on using a two-handed weapon they get second weapon as a discipline talent at fifth circle. That doesn't really yeah, work yeah, for yeah. them. Blah, blah, blah. I sort of off the cuff said, well, I would maybe drop second attack down to fifth circle. I I want to pull that back. I'm not actually sure that that's a great idea because second attack is available. Like anybody that gets it, gets it as a discipline talent much higher. And I'm not sure that it necessarily messes with really with, with game balance that much, but I, I think probably a better approach, and I can't believe that I really wasn't thinking about it at the time, is rather than going and juggling around the discipline talents so much, which really are supposed to be like sort of the defining characteristics, look at using the all talents to advance option, 
which is basically the original first edition one where you basically like choose a talent at each circle that you're going to advance. At that point, then you take, say, spot armor flaw, I think was the one that I was like, take that as your optional talent at fifth circle, but Mm -hmm. use the all talents to advance option and have that be the one that you are increasing. Um, so yeah, that yeah. you don't feel like you need to spend a whole lot of points on second weapon, which you're not really going to be using because of your chosen style, blah, blah, blah. If you're not using the all talents to advance option, uh, talk to your game master. Fair. Well, it was, I mean, it was, it was the question posed by Kagorsi. He wanted yeah, to know which, yeah. which, and I'm um, fairly certain since he's written in twice and there is no bad blood between us. He will let us know if what you suggested is is off the mark or not. Yeah, I, you know, I I I was more or less kind of initially thinking about it in the well, okay, you need to change your discipline talent, but the other option is to use the the original advancement scheme, which is the all talents to advance, and you just have second weapon and your optional. Yeah, and you and you go from there. Because yeah, really, really, you know, swapping out like swapping out discipline talents willy nilly, you know, if you want to do that at your own table, fine. Have at it. You know, have, have at it. I, I, I do think that taking that kind of presenting that can be, I don't know, it, it can it can dilute some of the concept behind disciplines in the first place. Fair. That was that so. was just some like over like especially while I was. Well, we were sort of mixing and, and re-listening to the episode to do the show notes and stuff. I was like, kind of like I'm not sure that that's such a good <laughs> idea, actually. So basically, the Troubadour episode hits you with uh, one more thing piped in. The, the stairwell yes. words got you. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that that, anyway. that was that. You know, Again, I, I don't think it's fatal. If you want to do that stuff at your own table, fine. But it's probably not actually the best idea. The, the best way to go. Fair. Fair. Anyway, so we've got a couple of emails. We'll get to these real quick, and then we'll get on to the rest of the information we've got to present to you, which is off the cuff and, and pulled out of you know where. Uh, so Cosmet got us an email. He ah, said, one of the upsides of Cosmet. the whole coronavirus is that he finally has time to catch up on the podcast. So thank you, Cosmet. You got a hold of us. He just finished the episode about Thrall, so he's a little behind everybody else. That's fine. He likes our chemistry. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, me. Is it possible we will tease Kratos the same way we did with Thrall? If if he's asking if we will do an episode about Kratos, yeah, probably at some yeah. point. We're going to hit all the ge- major geographical locations, and you know, we're 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 trying. I think early on to try and and get through all of the disciplines and and breaking that up with other things. But yeah, yeah. we'll probably we'll probably cover Kratos at some point. I don't know where it is on the. Um, I don't have a clue. <laughs> on the I've schedule. mapped out most of the f- of the first forty episodes, and I. It might be in there somewhere. Yes, it probably um, is. It would, I, it would require, I think, both of us to actually like go back to the book because I haven't looked at the Kratos book uh, in a while. Mine is double a while, so <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I would need to refresh my my memory, and I and I've I've been doing that along the way because it's one of those. Mm-hmm. I the information you think you know, and then you go back to the book and go, oh right, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And that's what I do is I'm like, right, take notes and tell the listeners. And that's what I do. So, yes, Cosmet will get to Kratos eventually. Promise. Cosmet is um, one that? of our Polish fans. Oh, cool. He was he I'd... was actually the one that, that organized my trip to Poland last year. Nice. Thank he you for getting the, Josh there and back yeah, safely. Yeah, he's, he's one of the, the head uh, – was one of the, the folks in charge of, of Orykalkum, which is their Earth on 
focused convention. Nice. Welcome to it, and I hope you're enjoying 4th edition. The rest of us. Brian, meanwhile, has a sticking point, I think, or a point to make a about comment, yeah. the the episode we did about elves, where he says, uh, you can have both. With their lifespans, an elven couple can have one child, raise it, set it out, and then have another. So hence, as a human in, in your lifespan, you would only see a single child families. So he's countering the idea of having elves only having one child and the dwindling population to extinction. Yeah, so. I can I can see that. I don't like basically you're saying, oh, they only have one child at a time. And when the child reaches adulthood at around age 20 or whatever, then the couple might have another one. That's still an I mean, with their longer lifespans, it might not be a huge deal. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair. I don't really have anything to to object to that statement. It just still seems to me to be kind of a little bit weird. Fair. But we're talking about elves, and they're always a little bit weird. So yeah, I'm just teasing. <laughs> so thank you, folks, for uh, your emails. We'll obviously handle as many as we can possibly get and get more down the line. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll do another email palooza episode. So we'll Depends see how, on how many fair. we get. Exactly. So again, if you want to get a hold of us, it's edsgpodcast at gmail dot com. Next up is kind of a topic that I don't think I've heard discussed a lot about in any other place is I think we should talk about blood magic just because it's another way to power all the things that are going on around you. So it's not always just threads and it's not always just innate horror powers or your, Mm -hmm. your, your talents just naturally imbuing themselves with you. Blood magic is a huge thing in earth dawn and it's not necessarily evil or twisted. So let's just dispel that right there. It It can be is. He says, looking northward on the map at, at the gigantic blood-corrupted forest. Well, there is that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird day, folks. I'm, it's, it's, we're like getting into summer up here, and it's kind of humid. And anyway, my, so, my brain is a, little, is a little bit melty today. No, it's okay. So that's okay. So, Blood magic doesn't really differ from thread magic, other than the fact I mean, it's just another, it's just another power source essentially. Yeah, and and one that, in theory at least, anybody can tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't unlike thread magic, which you pretty much need to be an adept to take advantage of. Yes, blood magic is something that, at least in theory, is available to. Anybody, because of the, the the life, the power, the energy that is inherent in blood is is something that all name givers have and can therefore draw on it. Yeah. Generally speaking, it makes people nervous, and I think rightfully so, mm-hmm. um, at least when you're talking about the, the common people. Yeah. Just because usually by the time you're throwing blood enchantments around – you kind of tapped out everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a little scarification, some cutters out there, little, little stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's you know I I think that there is a legacy in bar save and perhaps the the wider world to an extent of in some cases when there was not sufficient magical power, whether through 
true elements in Orichalcum and the rites of protection and passage and so forth, or people who only got fragments of them or something along those lines, mm -hmm. to try and, and power the defenses of the care with blood magic, with sacrifice magic, basically, yeah. where, where people are giving their lives in order to keep others alive. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a very, like, Shirley Jackson, the – what's the name of that story by her? I don't remember now. Somebody I'm sure will write in. But it, it's the – Shirley Jackson wrote a short story. That's the one that has, like, where everybody is pulling the, the marbles out. And the, the lottery? One who the, that's, that's the one. The lottery. <laughs> yes, that's the name of it. See, I, Fair. I knew we would get there. Yeah. One of us knows it. You know, that there's that kind of feeling where where, like, people are dying in order to – let others live mm -hmm. and while from one point of view that is a noble thing i think the circumstances and the power disparities and stuff that like political power disparities that perhaps yeah. sometimes came up around that yeah resulted in some rather problematic situations and people might not want to be remembered of that so much fair yeah that sounds so. mostly made sense yeah <laughs> Uh, I, I reminded of that. That's what it, that's reminded, not remembered. Fair. I always, since the third edition covers Player's Guide, Game Master's Guide, were Aztec, Mayan, uh, ancient civilization, Mesoamerican, Mesoamerican. Kind of, thank you, yeah. good word. I am always remembering that the human sacrifices that went on in those mm -hmm. cultures to their gods. Uh, right. So I know that since the first edition of Earth Dawn. Blood magic has been a thing. A, not just blood pebble, but blood promises, blood oaths, and things like right. that. And so, yeah. again, it's the last resort, and sometimes there's the blood curse at the end. It's, it's, it's the dying act, uh, drawing blood. I curse this, and so to happen. And that is a wonderful thing to pull out. My game group has rarely ever used blood magic in the last 25 years. Yeah, so the things that that I typically see happen in, in with blood magic are blood charms including living armor like blood pebble most frequently but also yes also blood knuckles well blood knuckles yeah that was added a little bit later but you know was but good. basically like blood charms like desperate spell desperate blow um some Abo of the absorb blow absorb blow is another one yeah. um but like those blood charms uh, the um couple of the magic uh aka living armors that that um are blood-powered like blood pebble armor, uh, living crystal being the other sort of big one. And the blood magic damage that's required to, because of the oath you swear to form a group true pattern. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the other one because of the, of the blood oath that's required mm -hmm. in order to create that true pattern that then the members of the group can, can draw on and take, um, take part in. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are the, the big ones. I, I think, Part of the situation, and looking back kind of on, on the history of the development and where things were, is that blood magic kind of loomed large in Earth Dawn's collective thing mm -hmm. as a result of its connections to Shadowrun and the blood magic of as technology, the corporation, yes. of the evil corporations. Yes. Probably considered among the most evil the because of the blood of magic. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that kind of echoed in and and other than the blood magic charms and you know the 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 oaths and so forth there really wasn't a lot of opportunity for player characters to use blood magic there were like a couple of options in the books 
And yeah. I seem to recall talking to Morgan at this point while we were doing some of the development for, for fourth edition, as we were kind of wrapping things up on, on the player's guide and that the numbers, like the bonuses that you would get for pushing yourself, like the benefit that you would get for say, pushing yourself to take a blood wound mm-hmm. or something seemed a little bit out of like the bonus that you got seemed a little bit underpowered compared to like the cost that you were paying to get it fair. And I don't know, just, just in general, it it's like blood magic, generally speaking, aside from the blood oaths, aside from the blood oaths and the blood charms seems to largely end up being the domain of this is how you know that people are that like certain people are bad guys, that they are evil. <laughs> Anybody um, who, who has been keeping up with the, Legends of Earthon podcast. Mm-hmm. One of the storylines that's kind of going on in that is my character Virag kind of tracking down information about Palanthrax, who is a another mancer who lived in Parlanth mm. and had a spell that I learned called Palanthrax's Siphon, where basically you deal damage to a person, whether that is yourself or a another target. Yeah. And that power, and it's basically does damage to them. It's basically is like a blood magic spell that does damage to them, and it provides you with a bonus uh, in order to to a subsequent spell casting or something that you might do after. Mm-hmm. And like, it's cool. It's creepy. <laughs> it was required in order for us to open the door to Palanthrax's tower. Yeah. I ended up wounding myself in order to open the door so we could all get in. What? Another Mancer's spell is kind of creepy? No. Yeah. The hell you say? Um, you look at the upcoming Iopos source book and yes. a big, like one of the reveals there and some of the stuff that's in that book is spoilers. The, the, the flesh forges, the thrice forged something. I forget exact the exact term right now, but yeah. like that Ool and the Denerastus like take people and put them in like hide them away down deep underground and perform nasty experiments and transformative things on them and there are abominations and things like that 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 come out of it Mm -hmm. and it's like just in general like ew yeah (laughs) so that covers kind of like a game mastery aspect of of where blood magic can come into play as far as a story or plot points concerned what can what let's let's kind of head down for the players real quick what they can actually do with blood magic and so forth because well, we I talked mean, about we talked about blood charms we talked yeah. about the the living armors that use blood magic damage basically yeah um, we talked about the o's we talked about the group pattern like all of that is stuff that is fairly well accepted and and yeah. useful for the most part for players though you do kind of run into the idea of you've only got so much health you only got yeah. you know well, only so much in your death rating and that permanently reduces them i was about to say let's go to the mechanics real quick which is if you take say four or five points of blood magic depending upon your charms and or armor and whatnot mm-hmm. then your death rating and your unconsciousness automatically go down to that level that same right. amount so, yeah so now now we're getting unconsciousness yeah. is five points quicker right <laughs> you know basically it's it's a it's a matter of you know is the cost that you are paying worth the benefit and i think at lower circles it's a tough call Mm -hmm. because you don't have a whole lot of health 
But as you get up into higher circles, particularly once you get into journeyman tier, yes. um, especially if you are a uh, a more combat focused character and have the higher durability, mm-hmm. um, then having a desperate blow charm or a desperate spell charm, or yeah. if you don't have something better, I think probably that that blood pebble armor is one of the most all around useful armors in the game. It is. Um, everybody it's, everybody craves it's in, it. <laughs> it's incredibly it's incredibly it's incredibly popular because mm-hmm. it's got a, a nice balance between armor protective rating with five yeah. physical and three mystic and only one initiative penalty. Yes. You are in it all the time, so you never get caught out of your armor, which is yep. always a valuable consideration. Yes. And I think it does five blood magic. I want to say it's four, but I maybe four don't quote I don't know. Me. I mean I'll it, it does um, I th- I think it does less damage. I think it does less blood magic damage than it actually does in physical armor. Yeah, only because that seems to make sense. But so yeah, that's it's really nice. Um, Living crystal is like blood pebble on steroids, except for the problem that it is, I think, initiative penalty two and doesn't I think provide quite enough of a like additional armor at least in in most considerations to have that be worthwhile. And then there's the options that... Yeah, Blood Bubble takes four, four, four blood okay. magic damage. Yeah. I have I enough think... characters I should have memorized, should have memorized that one a while ago. I just wanted to be double sure. That's okay. Yeah. But other, uh, yeah, other blood charms that you can Des- get... Desperate blow, desperate blow and Desperate Spell are, like, really, really worth having. Oh, totally. You know, it's it's basically, it's a, it's a one-time shot of plus six to an attack or damage test. Yep. And generally speaking, I am of the opinion that it is better to put that towards the, the damage or effect test of a spell rather than mm-hmm. try to boost the to hit boost the to hit. Yeah. Because while the two hit, if you roll, if you do well enough on the hit on the attack test, you'll do bonus damage. Mm-hmm. You need to get a, you need to get, basically three extra successes on the attack test. So like plus 15 over the target number mm-hmm. to do the equivalent of the plus six damage that the, uh, that the desperate blow charm does. If you yeah. were to just use it on the damage in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, if you are in a situation where you are having a really hard time hitting, it might be worthwhile spending it to try and at least get the hit in the first place. Cause the extra totally. damage is going to do you a darn bit of good <laughs> if, if you, you don't can't hit. hit the thing in the first place. <laughs> Exactly. But but I almost always for Virag I have a desperate spell charm and I I cannot remember a time when I did not use it for effect. Yes. Other things to get that I think are also good blood charms to have a horror fend, the initiative booster, the strength booster if you want to. Yes. Yeah, I haven't had anybody ever pick up a targeting eye because they just have that whole creepy thing of I don't want my eyeball getting, you know, eaten by a worm and, and all that. They just don't like that. But other than yeah. that, I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, death cheat charms are fantastic. So yeah, death cheat can death cheat can be nice, especially if you don't have, I don't know, death cheat where where uh, unless you're having a hard time getting last chance salves. Yes, I mean the advantage to a death cheat charm is that you don't need to worry about somebody getting the last chance salve onto you. It exactly. it just happens or it doesn't <laughs> it just is there or you know neither answer with um their CPR, like, last... I am Spell. so blanking at everything. Last Chance? <laughs> I think it's called Last Chance. I think it is called Last Chance, because they have that similar title to most things. 
but yeah, it's it, and there's almost no half of my players that have ever ever had a, a fighter type of any kind always get one, if not two, absorb blow charms. Yeah, absorb absorb blow can be can be nice if you're going to be a front line. Yeah, a front line fighter because that's something that basically you can activate to give yourself additional like protection similar to like armor and, and whatnot. I got a guy who's basically a pugilist type or a gauntlet type because originally we did this whole mystic mystic warrior thing from the earth dawn journal yeah he's got two of those which is 12 points a piece so you can turn those on and that's 24 points of damage you yeah. can take before he's slowed down yeah. you know on the way to doing what he has to do as a frontline fighter so there was one of those but so yeah that's that's just blood magic in general i can't say everyday use for mm-hmm. players but that's at least the most familiarity they're going to have with what blood magic and its applications can actually do uh, on a the, on the player's side, because then you can get down to things like um, you know blood wounds take a year and a day to heal, so mm-hmm. careful entering into those contracts. Right. You get blood oaths, which if you want an example of a blood oath from a movie, it's I saw the Mask of Zorro recently. He swear he cuts his hand, swears an oath he will avenge his brother's killer. If you go back to Robin Hood with Kevin Costner, same thing. He swears yeah. an oath that he'll avenge his father's killer. Those, it's, it's not really with anybody else, but it's yeah, still... Yeah, those... Interestingly enough, while it would make a lot of sense for... Like, that seems like it is something that should be modeled in Earth Dawn. Mm-hmm. It's not. The examples of, of Blood Oaths are all like you are swearing an oath with someone. Yes. Like you and another person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, more, like a, a, more like a Blood Brothers kind of, kind of pinky, notion. It's a pinky promise. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's, it's a really, it's, really it's deep. A, it, pinky is, it is a pinky swear on steroids. Yes, but yeah, there's no or on an open wound. There so. actually isn't really any example now that I that I think about it. Even kind of thinking back to older stuff of you know like where you just as an individual mm-hmm. like spill some blood and swear an oath to perform some task and get any kind of benefit out of it. Yeah, I think that is something that that perhaps individuals might do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, just a just a solo sort of blood oath like that actually is not something that's in the in the rules at all we'll save that for for a fifth edition so (laughs) or or for for an upcoming book if we can find some way to make it not i mean there 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 sort of was like sort of the the and i took a look in the in the in the pdf of the the player's guide while we were kind of talking here and the stuff that i remember about like pushing yourself and whatnot is is not something that's in the in the, the player's guide. And I think it was because we found that the benefit that it provided for what you were taking, um, especially in comparison to other stuff that you could do mm-hmm. was just not really worth it anymore. And so Fair. it got pulled maybe possibly with the thought of, of maybe if we can find a way to make it work, bringing it back at some point. But yeah, at the moment it's kind of no promises, no, no blood promises either. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> So yeah, we've got the blood oath, which is like a, a promise between two characters, and they get a bonus out of that. And then there's the blood peace, which is a truce sworn mm-hmm. between two characters, kind of for the same reason, which is this bond we now have is a promise that we will not do something. Yeah. And yeah, never harm another or allow harm to come to another through inaction. So it's just one of those, it, it, like you said, it's kind of the the blood brothers promise that. Mm-hmm goes back generations um, for us humans here. And it's always like, you know, a plus two. It's pretty simple enough. It's not yeah. too bad. So 
it's it's just there. It's a fantastic way to do something in a story. And right. I did have two characters. Oddly enough, I have two players named Marcus and two players named Dave. So <laughs> my two players, both named Marcus, spelled differently, thankfully, their characters ended up swearing a blood promise because one saved the other one's life and they and the other one made a promise I will repay the debt and that lasted a year and a day. So it was just one of those yeah, it was a wonderful storyline to have. They both hated the fact they already had a wound, and so any second wound they ever got in combat took them down a step. They're like, God, what does this thing go away? And so I had to keep track on a calendar when it went away. They were very happy to write that wound off on their sheet, though, I'll tell you that. It was almost like white out. But yeah, it's, it's a fantastic little story wrinkle to have in there if you want, as a game master, to just kind of tug on that every once in a while and use it. And then we get down to Blood Sworn. Oaths. That is that is the super duper like we ain't kidding around. We ain't kidding around. That is a lifetime oath uh, between two people, and it does provide some decent benefits. Like it provides yeah. additional attribute values to two different attributes that don't count towards the normal limits for raising them. Mm-hmm. It gives you unique uh, a unique talent that it basically works like the blood share talent for cavalrymen. Um, yes. allowing the people who are sworn to uh, share damage back and forth. It gives bonus to, if you have the thought link or empathic sense talents, mm-hmm. to use those with your with your Bloodsworn companion. And it's possible using that to potentially, if one of member of the, of the sworn pair dies, the other one can try and actually bring them back from the dead. Yeah. So again, fantastic story wrinkle. It would be great in an Earthdawn novel. Yeah, anything upcoming. But it's one of those, again, if you can somehow get your players committed enough to work that together, it's a fantastic little storyline wrinkle to have in somebody's character background or between two of the two of the characters you're playing with and they somehow get that figured out. So because I have a feeling somewhere along the line in my group, someone's going to be taking this blood sworn oath because they've been playing together this long. The characters have known each other almost that long and they've already had one promise between them. So I have a feeling it's going to develop here soon. So it's not, it, it takes a while to get there. Is that, mm-hmm. you know, I have to have three calendar years of the characters, characters knowing each other to be able to de- develop this bond and swear that oath. But it's kind of badass. It can be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm all in favor of it. Any further thoughts on blood magic? Because that kind of hits all the high points we needed to. Yeah, fair enough. We're going to hit three topics tonight. So if you have any questions about blood magic, we did not cover anything. It's clearly laid out in the fourth edition. It's like three or four pages long. It's not a lot, but it's, it's a nice wrinkle to throw in. I forget if fourth edition covers the depatterning or not. I'm not a fan. I'm not really a fan of depatterning. Fair. Okay. We will ignore that. It got, it got introduced (laughs) in the Theron Empire book. Because the Theron Empire book introduced some really, like, out there blood charms. Mm-hmm. And Earthdawn 2nd Edition kind of leaned into it a little bit more. I'm not crazy about it as an idea. And so we don't have it. Okay. No worries. Nothing big there. So we've covered that up. Wrap your... You just wash your hands of that. Uh, wash the blood off your hands of that. <laughs> <laughs> so a little punchy here tonight. 
If you have any questions for us about blood magic, by all means, send them in. But I think that kind of covers everything. Like I said, it's a wonderful yeah. little storyline to have if you can work it in somehow. I just ran a pre-gen adventure where they characters had to come across a small little Tuscrang village who wanted to be kept separate from the rest of the world. And there were Therans on a hunting party out there. So if you came across the, 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 the party, if you came across a little Tuscrang village, they wanted you to swear a blood oath that you would not reveal the location of their village. And that was it. So character had to sign up for that. Take the blood oath. Done. Go. See ya. That was it. And it lasts a year and a day. So mm-hmm. there you are. So it, it, it is in one or two of the pre-published adventures. And again, if you can yeah. work it in somehow, not a bad thing to do. I think one of the things actually now that you kind of talk about that, I think that the tendency – never mind. I don't know where I was going. Okay. All right. Absolutely no worries. What's next? So – on to our next one, which is, so that was all things uh, hematological. This is going to be all things bestial. So monsters and creatures, we haven't actually talked about using them, picking them, the designs of them. We hit on a little bit on how to balance them for your party. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit in the in the last episode, kind of in, re- in response to a, a, an email question. question. Yeah, and I found out exactly how hidden those rules were from me because I found the book they were in. I found my highlighting of them. I'm like, oh yeah, I never used these because it was in the boxed bar save campaign set in the Game Master's book. Really hard to find. If you didn't have the box set, it, you never used them, and they were so say, yeah. My my so well hidden. It was either my thought is that it would I I would have either been in the booklet that came with the GM screen, or that it would have been in the game master's book for the Barse box set. Those yes, would have been was, the, the two places that I would have. It was possibly, in the game master's book. Possibly yes. the possibly the the companion, but I didn't think so. I did check there first. It, it might have been reiterated in the Creatures of Barsave mm-hmm. book, but I don't think so there either. I think that one focused more on the, the system that they had for determining how many legend points a creature was worth. Yes, and making up your own creatures at that point. Yes. So I did, I did check all three or four of those books that you mentioned, and yes, it was in the Game Master's uh, Guide in the Barsave campaign boxed set. So yes. if you didn't pick up the box set... You never had this. You never. So you're yeah. right. It was in the wrong place. It was a little, hit, a little too hard to find. Well, very I don't. Well I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the the wrong place. Not your words, my words. You know, having having been, yeah, ha- having worked on design and and making books and knowing that there are only so many pages and you mm-hmm. need to find space to cut stuff. Yes, it was probably a case of. Either that that it wasn't something that they realized would have been handy right out of the gate, and so it got developed later and then added to a very early book, or it was just something that they like they needed to cut space for the book and decided that that would be better served moved to another place, fair or something else entirely. I I don't know, never know. Anyway, so with Josh's guidance, it has been put in the proper place in the fourth edition game master's guide right before all the stat blocks we're about to talk about. So yes. It's a wonderful little chart to use on how to balance your party, but we're just going to talk about the overall genesis behind the monsters and creatures in the Game Master's book. And then there's more in supplemental books as well, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those, how do you pick which ones to throw into your campaign as a Game Master? And then exactly, you know, where do half of these creatures come from? Are they legend or are they just horrific manifestations of creatures that already exist now? 
because sometimes the horrors did their thing during the scourge yeah. and now we have what's floating a, around a, right a, now a little bit of everything i mean if you go through you will find plenty of examples of just normal animals yeah rats you know rhinos horses apes elephants cheetahs wolves yeah. stuff like that so there are plenty of should. just like normal like normal wildlife horses yeah. and dogs and mm -hmm. stuff like that um, you've got some of the like typical sort of fantasy mythological versions. creatures. Well, yeah, you've got mythological creatures. You know, the, the Earth Dawn, the Earth Dawn version of harpies and basilisk and manticore, chimera and manticore Griffins. and yeah. hellhound and stuff yeah. like that. All those from legend. And then, and and so those in many cases often have. A little bit of an Earth Dawn twist on them, something that's mm -hmm. a, a little bit different that 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 makes them stand out a little bit, especially when you get sort of into the to the realm of undead, like cadavermen and ghouls, both yes. of which are different enough from their stereotypical fantasy game counterparts. Counterparts that that it's always fun to drop uh, like ghouls against new players for the first time um, when they might be expecting sort of the the paralysis ability. Of a mm -hmm. ghoul that, that's common to D and D games, um, and no, they just have damage that that messes you up and does damage. Yes, or the the cadaver men where you oh Berserker. they're just zombies and then you oh, hit yeah. them and then they get angrier <laughs> and hit you harder and more often and more often. Um, yeah, and then so so you've got your standard creatures, you've got your like basically equivalents of the the common kind of fantasy game creatures that you would expect to find in any kind of of monster book, um, and then you do get some of the more unique unusual ones yes you know like the the gatehound that drains magic yeah and the 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 um as i'm flipping through the the book here the the jub jub you know which is basically <laughs> the the giant flesh-eating frog with fangs yes um the the krill worm the lightning lizard Oh, things the like that ra, which is the the, the, the krill raw which is the which is the giant stage, yeah the, the mm-hmm you know, the case of huge sexual dimorphism in yes. in a creature. But so so just generally, you know, we, we had talked last time about, you know, in in the book, you know, all, all of the creatures are sort of marked with a with a challenge value, which gives yeah. a, a tier, novice, mm -hmm. journeyman, etc. And a, an a, approximate sort of equivalent circle. Yeah. And, and that is a good starting point. You really need to look at what your group is capable of, what kind of abilities and such that they can bring to bear physically, magically, and whatnot, mm -hmm. and kind of compare the numbers like we talked last week to gauge whether an uh, whether a creature is how much of a challenge it's going to be. Yeah, you know, generally speaking, just because of the way that the action economy works, and and you know that basically, barring certain cases. There's a lot of creatures don't generally take don't get to do stuff outside of their turn. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that that Morgan did when he was reworking and, and kind of tweaking a lot of the creatures was to try and lower the amount of dice rolling and tracking stuff that the game master would need to do, because it's relatively easy for a player to keep track of all the stuff for their character because they only have to deal with one. And so mm -hmm. the amount of complexity that can exist for a player character can be a little bit higher. But when you try and do that complexity with Game Master characters, you run into a couple of problems. One, 
you don't get the as a game master, you don't generally get the familiarity with all of the the tricks and synergies and whatnot that the that the abilities and powers and so forth can have. Yeah, you frequently just to manage things when you've got multiple creatures and and whatnot tend to fall back on just a couple of things. Mm-hmm. So consequently, even though the the numbers might be even or stuff like that, it, it can be difficult you know and and you just like you have it for an encounter you don't have it for multiple encounters multiple sessions and, and things like that the way you do yeah, a, you don't, a pc so yeah, you don't I, live I, with it as long as the players live with yeah. their characters and and so i i don't think that unless you're talking about a recurring game master character that's going to be a long-running rival or ally or something along those lines it is or going one to of be these has turned into somebody's pet yeah um you know that, that's popped up multiple times mm-hmm. you don't need the complexity for creature opposition for creatures that you do for player characters Mm -hmm. and so there was an attempt the success of which was certainly up for a matter of personal taste to try and especially as we got further along in the design process and some of the stuff added in the companion and um, creatures added in in later books to like reduce the amount of stuff that the game master has to actively keep track of when using the creature in combat. Yeah. That basically a lot of their, what used to be for creatures that are, that are returning from previous editions, rather than having a separate ability to roll a lot of times that their special stuff gets triggered off of rolling well enough on an attack test, for example. Yeah. Um, like a lot of creatures for point with poison that especially as we went along in order for the poison to actually affect the target, they need to get an extra success on the attack test. And rather than do extra damage with that, then they, you know, then they, then they can inject poison or whatever. So that's, that's something that, that was kind of one of the design goals that developed over the, over the course of, of working on things. And in looking at the creature section, I noticed that in, at least in fourth edition, and I've, not very familiar with a lot of previous ones, but these are some new maneuvers that the creatures have. I don't recall being in previous editions. Yeah, this was something that grew out of the ability, you know, basically that the the extra successes, you know, the, like the extra success mechanic that yes. by default was sort of like, oh, well, we'll, it'll just like each extra success will do extra damage to overcome armor, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, then dis- and then kind of realizing that, well, maybe we can actually have the option to spend those extra successes to do other things. Like for example, flying creatures, if you Mm -hmm. hit them well enough, you can damage their wings and prevent them from flying. If a, you know, if, if a, if a character is grappled or ensnared by a creature, you can spend extra successes to try and help them break free. Like to, to like that whole Introducing special maneuvers, yes, um, which can be learned through uh, appropriate knowledge skills or creature analysis can can mm-hmm. allow you to, to unlock um, certain maneuvers. You know, basically become aware that, that they're a possibility um, is just something that kind of kind of grew out of it. It's kind of a like a, a a bit of tactical complexity that does not, in a lot of cases, require breaking out the battle map and minis. Fair. Because that was another thing, partly because I tend to play theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to prefer doing that and being a little bit more 
fast and loose with ranges and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, judging that it's sort of good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I certainly have done my share of minis gaming and whatnot over the years, and I just got a little tired of it. I mean, Fair. if it's if that's your if that's your bag, that's fine. I know some people really, really like going into that sort of like crunchy tactical complexity mm-hmm. tabletop minis style gaming. Yeah. I, I think that the that the special maneuvers and stuff add that kind of com- tactical complexity without necessarily requiring the battle map scenario. Fair. Fair. So of the common maneuvers, I count 11 for the mm-hmm. creatures in Monsters to Use. So yep. new things, like, I get, like I said, I've never heard of before, like Clip the Wing. Well, yep, that's that's an ability that a, that a <clears throat> player character can use against a flying creature, mm-hmm. basically. Um, the other actual thing that some of those grew out of was like there are several creatures that have like a kind of grappling or ensnaring effect. Yeah. They're, um, you know, and Snakes. so... Like snakes and and stuff like that, where we wanted to standardize the way that those worked. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, here is how this, you know, basically like the 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 ambush predators like will jump from ambush and they will like pounce on the target and that will have a certain effect. Yes. Regardless of whether it's a, a, a jungle cat or some other creature that we make up. But basically, here is the standard rule for how that ability, that power works yes and so that basically got just kind of standardized and listed at the beginning because there were a bunch of creatures that had it and so rather than repeat eight lines of text or five lines of text or however many it was yeah every time that power (laughs) you know every time that power came up we write the rules up once Mm -hmm. and then just list the name of the of the maneuver when it pops up for a creature. And so then you can just go and and refer to that at the beginning. Yeah. So for the listeners who don't have their books handy, uh, if you've not gotten to this point in the Game Master's Guide, uh, it is Clip the Wing, Crack the Shell, Defang, Enrage, Grab and Bite, Hamstring, Overrun, Pounce, Provoke, Pry Loose, and Squeeze the Life. All, all pretty straightforward. Clip the wing we talked about with the flying. Crack the mm-hmm. shell is the one that that is like you basically spend extra successes on your attack to reduce. You're cracking the the shell of the crab. You're like breaking, basically reducing their armor, allowing you to do more damage on subsequent rounds. Gotcha. So um, when it says spend extra successes, that's the thing I'm, I'm I think the listeners need to clarify. Okay, yeah. So so let's clarify. say well let, let me let's 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 grab one. The cave crab I think is is a great. Example, because oh, the, the cave crabs. crab has cracked the shell, okay? and they're huge, <laughs> and, and they're huge and powerful. <laughs> cave crab has a has a physical defense of ten and a physical armor of eighteen. Yes, so big, they bad, they can they they are they are big and nasty. They have cracked the shell. If you roll a ten between a ten and a fourteen, then you just hit it normally. You roll damage normally, and it probably gets absorbed by its armor. Yeah, all eighteen points of it. <laughs> at, at, if if you roll a fifteen to a nineteen, mm-hmm. okay. So so at that point you've got one success from the actual basic hit. Yep. A second success because you've got more, got five or more, but less than ten. Yes. You have the option of let me just flip back to the 
Crack the, the shell. Here real quick. Crack uh, the may shell. spend extra successes from physical attacks to reduce the future physical armor by one per success spent. So, so rather than doing an additional plus two damage for that extra success, which is sort of the default when you hit, yeah. you can say rather than doing plus two extra damage, I'm going to roll my normal damage, but after this attack, its armor is reduced from 18 to 17. Yes. And so for every subsequent success you get. And that and that lasts yeah. And so and and so if you rolled really well, if you roll a twenty-five, mm-hmm. okay, so you've got fifteen over, you've got three extra successes, yes. you can put all of those to cracking the shell and reducing its physical armor down to fifteen. Gotcha. Which not only like it doesn't help you on that one hit, but everybody else that's gonna be hitting it is gonna be Doing taking advantage of that. Yes. You know, now on the plus side, on, on the flip side of that, cave crab has big nasty claws, and they can do the same to you because uh-huh. they have armor cutter, which is basically crack the shell, but for the creature. Yeah, where it basically reduces reduces the armor by they can spend extra successes in in that regard, and yeah. they also have they Probably also loose. have um they also and have squeeze, squeeze the, life. the well yeah they well yeah. they've got squeeze the life, which means that they can grab you in their claw and mm-hmm. start crushing you, and then pry loose basically allows your friends to try and 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 break you loose so it's they are they are things that mechanically allow like an interaction with something that that they do yeah um and if they don't go then you know if they don't roll well enough then it doesn't trigger off and you don't really need to to worry about it but generally like that's that it's it's a it's a tactics it's a like they kind of indicate the way that the that the creature would fight you know that that you look at the at the the crowgen for example mm-hmm. yes um, another like nasty creature but they've got pounce right they've got they've got great leap they've got pounce they've got stealthy stride they are ambush predators yes like basically that they that they fight by you know that they basically strike from stealth mm-hmm. and do and their their tactic is to do a lot of damage on that initial attack because whatever like their plan is to basically take down whatever it is that they're going after right out of the gate Yes. Uh, you know, as, as, a, as an ambush predator, as opposed to wolves, for example, which will have, you know, like pack tactics type totally. uh, abilities. Yes. Um, that, that, that will like they can benefit each other and swarm their prey. Yeah. Like standard wolf gets gets hamstring and, you know, opening and things like that that allow them to. You know, to to basically harry and and cause problems against their target by working together as a group. Yeah, you know, so so you get you get some of that stuff, um, and and then you know some of the more difficult, like and 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 troublesome things. And initially, it, it was okay. These are things that they should do, like the thunder beasts trample, mm-hmm. like things like that, which was just like these are things that a bunch of creatures have or will have in the future. Here's the standard way that that works. Yes. Boom. Um, and, and I think as development went on, we we came up with more of, you know, ba- basically using using special maneuvers as a way to, if anybody has seen Morgan's work on like his blog and stuff of statting up mm-hmm. adepts as creatures. Yes. And giving them like, rather than listing all of their talents and having the game master kind of keep track of them, especially if you're looking for relatively disposable, like they're only going to show up once. Yes. They will have special maneuvers or powers that will effectively duplicate sort of the ability of those. They will have maybe a higher physical defense if it's a warrior because it's assumed that they will be doing this sort of thing mm-hmm. that, or that their, that their initiative will be higher because 
that's what Tiger Spring does. And so it'll be built right in rather yeah. than having the game master kind of need to keep track of the strain and everything associated with that. Fair. And I also love the fact that these are things that the creatures can do. And a lot of the creatures in this section can be animal companions to a beast master. Mm. And so their abilities are already laid out for the beast master to understand how they work. Right. So I find that a benefit as well. So yep. we've got the different kinds of creatures you get, which are, you know, some are based upon old mythology. Some are based upon just little earth dawn type tweaks to what you would normally expect out of a fantasy setting or a medieval type setting. And then they have the completely unique earth dawn creatures that are there. And now we've listed out in fourth edition, all of the special maneuvers that they can do mm -hmm. for benefit of the Beastmaster to actually know what the, their new animal companions can actually take care of for them. So here's or the your secondary character. <laughs> or the benefit of the game master to make life difficult for the player characters. What? No, that's not what we're here for. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, all of that is now put in there. And uh, this is new to fourth edition. All those those creature uh, maneuvers that we, we were just talking about. So, and that's what we're here for, of course, is fourth edition. But that is a wonderful little wrinkle. But now the kicker is the whole thing that we kind of started with at the beginning of this piece, which is how do you choose? I understand the novice tier, the journeyman tier and so forth. How do you actually go through and choose which creatures you want to throw in there? I tend to, I tend to go with what's geographically safe. Hey, you're in a swamp. I'm not going to throw in a forest creature or uh, something that lives high in the mountains. Not quite the same. If I'm, you know, up on a mountainous peak, like we were talking about terror in the skies earlier, I'm not going to take something that's, you know, an aquatic creature and throw it up there at you. It's not going to work that way. So I tend to think geographically first. And then secondly, since I've run a lot of the pregen adventures and they use a lot of the same creatures, the Spagra completely, Cadavermen endlessly, things like that. So I, I try to go, you know what? What's something I have not used yet? Yeah. And I kind of go off the wall. Yeah, it's the same level. I can kind of modify the numbers now that I have the chart. So I can, what's something I've never used before? Let's throw something new at my players. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's basically it. You know, the, like, how do you, how do you choose? Well, you look at, at the things that are available yeah. that are an approximate, roughly that same level. And Morgan, again, on his, at his blog, Panda Gaming Grove, um, has yes. like lists of all of the creatures from fourth edition sorted out by challenge rating and by habitat. Love Morgan for so that. So he's got lists of like, you can look at the list of, oh, here are all the forest creatures, here too. are all the, <laughs> the plains creatures. Like he's got that stuff already collated. So you can grab that great, great handy, handy re reference. Um, mm -hmm. and, and like pick something that is appropriate to the area, something of the appropriate challenge level. Um, and go from there. Or if there's a creature that you really like that you want to use that might not be necessarily appropriate to the level environment, yeah. come up with the reason why it's not. Exactly. Make it part of the storyline. Why Just, is this you know, thing here? It shouldn't be here. Figure that out. Make that part of the mystery. So, anyway. yeah, I you know, basically it's like use what you want to use that seems kind of interesting that might provide something a little cool and um, just make sure, you know, using the comparison guidelines uh, to get a sense of, of how much of a challenge that it is or is not going to be for your group. And it is perfectly okay. Yeah. In fact, I give you permission to use creatures <laughs> that are not an equal challenge. And, and by that, I mean both things that might be a little bit tougher. Yeah. And things that are easier. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think there is a tendency with with crunchier style games in the past 15, 20 years um, to try and and strike this this, I think, false sense of balance where you are always looking for a uh, for an encounter, mm-hmm. a combat encounter to always be balanced. Yeah. Um, that it is always supposed to be a a challenge and or something that they can always win. Well, well, yes, but in the sense that they they can always win, but it is going to consume X amount of their resources. Mm-hmm. Like it should do like th- like relatively speaking, it should do 20 percent of their health in damage. It should use like, you know, a lot of times kind of approaching that from the D&D Pathfinder paradigm mm-hmm. where you've only got a limited number of spell slots per day yeah. as opposed to the Earth Dawn spell casting, which is a, a different design idea. Yeah. But that the idea is that an encounter is going to use up a certain amount of resources mm-hmm. and, and that there is a, a, a false sense of balance that can come out from that. And I think that occasionally having fights that are uh, against a little bit more difficult opponents and especially as they get a little bit later in their careers of having fights against opponents that are a lot easier mm-hmm. that they are able to to handle particularly well to bring those in once in a while as a way of showing the players how far they have come in terms of their their character development and whatnot yeah um obviously it, it gets to the point where like if you've got a group of you know seventh you know if you've got a group of seventh you've got a group of five or six seven circle characters mm-hmm. throwing you know, a, a mass of first circle, you know, equivalent creatures at them is largely just an exercise in die rolling, <laughs> you know? So at, at that point, you may want to change things up either by using masks, which we will talk about in, in more depth another yep. time, or uh, making things interesting tactically or changing things up by having some some smaller creatures along with with larger ones. But yeah, like having a situation where they are going up against something that was that that might have posed them a challenge early in their career mm-hmm. and now they come back a little bit later and they are oh, that was easy. more powerful and and it is suddenly you know quite a quite a bit easier yeah i always like every once in a while i like throw something at them that i know they can't handle to see if they are smart enough to disengage and run away yeah this might kill you. And I want to, I want to know I, how tenacious yeah, they I, are. I have, I, I have no problem with doing that. I think that is something that needs to be made aware up front. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things that you might not necessarily say, need to say it for that, for a particular encounter, but as part of the like discussion for the campaign and the game, yeah. that is, you know, I will occasionally have you go up against things again because of the of the of the idea that oh all combat encounters should be a challenge but not you know unless it's the end of the adventure boss fight kind of thing yes. you know you're not generally expecting characters to die and and the thought that you know so consequently there there are some players depending on their experience with various games might come into a situation saying Oh, well, I know that, that they, you know, that, that we're not gonna, this isn't the boss fight, so we're not really at risk of dying. First off, the step system and the exploding <laughs> dice make it possible that freak results can happen, oh. which is why it's always not a good idea oh, yes. 
it's always a good idea to have a, a, a death cheat charm or a last chance yes. have or something like that just just because. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so there's that. But there's, you know, if you're going to have a situation where you as the game master might be providing opposition or have things that um, are not meant to be, uh, are not obstacles to be taken on solely by brute force. Yes. That there might need to be some cleverness or thought or whatever that goes around it. That is something that you that you probably want to make clear as part of the session zero campaign planning yeah. kind of situation where, you know, I will occasionally have things that you will run into that you probably will not be able to handle in a not in a you know in a fair fight Mm -hmm. so you have to figure out how to make it an unfair fight or you know avoid it oh yeah avoid it or figure out where your advantage is right so you know so that that is something that i i am absolutely have no problem with people doing that i think it's a jerk move to not let your players know ahead of time that that is something that is potentially on the table i'm a jerk then no i'm kidding i'm kidding So really, uh, one last thing to point out in the Game Master's Guide is I think every single one of those encounters is uh, novice or journeyman tier only. I think they only go up to like seventh or eighth circle maximum. The companion has the warden level yeah, encounters. Yeah, the, the companion – I mean that was, a, that was an intentional for the most part. Yes. I'm just here to plug a product Division now. choice. So. You know, that, that there's – because – as I've mentioned before, and part of the work that, that Morgan did is that creatures generally are not intended to be like single monster boss fights. Like if mm-hmm. you like, like if you've got a group of second circle characters, grab a a fourth or fifth circle monster and kind of use that as a boss. But the problem that you run into again is because of the action economy mm-hmm. that the the creature is only going to be able to do so much, and with the number of debuffs and stuff like that and the chance of exploding rolls, you know, they're going to feel a, maybe feel a little bit glass cannony that they might do a, a good solid strike or two, but it doesn't take much to take them out. Yeah. So generally speaking, you know, the, the creatures that are in the game master's guide are sort of designed to be creatures that are uh, inspiration for and appropriate challenges for characters of that level. And it's when we get into the companion and the much higher stuff yeah. that we get uh, get a little bit more. Of course, there's always, you know, dragons and horrors, which are also in the Game Master's <laughs> Guide and are a little bit more... Challenging. A little bit more, <laughs> little bit more challenging. Yeah. Um, but even those are, are kind of scaled, you know, a, a little bit. So, yeah. So we hope actually this lays out some some fun to have if you're looking at picking up any creatures as a game master, as a player character, sorry, but how to use them properly and effectively as a game master. But otherwise, this, I think this wraps up blood magic and uh, monsters and creatures for now. At least for now. Until we get to the companion level later on. But other than that, folks, I want to thank you for uh, making the time listening to us today. Ramble on and on and on. And Josh, thank you for making the time as well to keep the flame burning for all of us. If you have any questions about anything we've raised today on blood magic or monsters and creatures, we can clarify for you and how to use them. Feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, check out the various other places that myself and other fans of the game can be found enthusiasts yeah because if you're not looking uh for us very much uh, yeah sorry if you're not looking you won't find exactly 
if you're not trying hard. Anyway, I'm butchering the whole thing. Time to sign off. We're getting a little punchy. Gotta go. Thanks, folks. And it's time for you to go make your own legend. Good night, everybody.